0: Welcome to Optional Extras, a Doctor Who podcast all about the action figures produced by character options. But this is a podcast with a difference. We don't review the figures or give opinions on them. We bring you the facts about them and how they came to be. I'm Kenny Smith. I'm a journalist, a podcaster, and most importantly of all, a Doctor Who fan. And joining me each episode is a man who knows all about the figures because, to put it simply, he's the man who commissions and has them made but I won't put words into his mouth. Let him introduce himself.
1: Hello, so I'm Al Durer. Nobody seems to be able to pronounce my name. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'm creative director for character options and responsible for the look and function of lots of different toys that we make, not just, not just Doctor Who, although that's what we're here to chat about.
0: Yes, definitely you do lots of other things, as we do see adverts in the telly telling us they're from character. But we'll move on and talk Doctor Who. Al, we've previously covered the creation of the 8th Doctor figures in another podcast I co-host, voices of eight. We have. And we yes. had a good time chatting about that. So maybe you could explain to the listeners why we thought about doing optional extras now.
1: Uh, well, you know, Kenny, you and I have a bladder every now and again. and. Uh... We, we tend to cover um, a, a range of, of things. But I, I think I, th- I think both of us sort of thought it might be interesting. There's a lot of misinformation. I suppose it's because there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of misinformation out there about why things come to be. And, and then these things become almost urban myth. Uh, so it was just, I think it was just you and I chatting and talking about, oh, it might be nice to set the record straight on a couple of these things. Absolutely, it's good to talk. It certainly, yes. That would be a good slogan if
0: you were doing an advertising campaign. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hang on, it might have been taken a few years ago. Anyway, each episode we're going to take a look at a wave of the Doctor Who figures, and we're going to start with the latest one, which has just been released at B and M stores, comprising the first Doctor and a pair of Sensorites, Ian Chesterton and Two Voord, or Vord and the latest history of the Dalek sets covering the Power of the Daleks and Day of the Daleks. So let's turn the clock back about a couple of years because I remember we were having one of those chats as we often would do when we were driving home from work talking about future waves and things that could be done and I remember you specifically saying what could we do for the Hartnell years and then you mentioned that you had the basic skeleton in inverted commas which you could work. So could you explain how the basic figure came about that started off as Sharaz Jek, the Axon and so on?
1: Figures that, uh, like I say, through through no fault of its own, it's become a, it's become a bit of a workhorse for us and that was the Sharaz Jek. Now I say it's the Sharaz Jek figure, I could be completely wrong, I'm now, I'm now, I'm now in that horrible maelstrom of, of not knowing which came first. <laughs> I've a feeling it was the Sharis Jack figure that came first, which then became the axe on the humanoid. But in essence, we ended up with a figure that was that was in classic Doctor Who terms, uh, basically a figure in a tight-fitting outfit. Yeah, not such specific surface detail that uh, it couldn't be repurposed, and so it's it's become one of those. Um, it's become one of those figures, as you mentioned, not, not skeleton as such, but a, it's, a, it's a very easy framework to drop new characters onto, partly because there's a whole load of Doctor Who figures that happen to look like people in, you know, sli- slim people, but in relatively tight-fitting clothing. You know, as I've just mentioned, a couple of them, you know, Sharers Jack, the Axon, the Androids from Earthshock, the Sensorites, uh, the Voord. Or Vord. I've never heard them go Vord before, but that's that's an interesting one. Vord. Oh, and there's, there's probably many more. But you know, it's it, it's it's just become one of those figures that's that's very good to go to. And actually, it's very adaptable because it is a figure in a unitard. You can add some. You can add accessories. You can add belts. You can add overcoats or over jackets. You can change the head. You can change their hands and the feet if you need to. So you're not changing a huge amount on that figure in order to get other stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, something that probably should mention is that the body of the figure is the most expensive part to produce, isn't it? To create from scratch.
1: Yeah, to create a figure from scratch is inordinately expensive. <laughs> I won't go into exact details. No. But some people would cry. <laughs> I quite often do so you're right in the sense that the the sort of the more complex bit of a figure and the biggest chunks of tooling are the torso the front and the back the hips the the thighs uh, the upper arms that tends to be where all where chunk of the articulation points are. So, if you have the core of a figure and you can change a few bits, it's relatively in, relatively inexpensive. It's still it's still a scary amount of money, but um, compared with doing a new figure from scratch, it's not. And actually, it's a good chance to clear up one of those fallacies that I think I think now because it has been a lot because we've managed to do a lot of creative things with existing or past figures. I think there's now this mentality that you can sort of mix and match figures from different pieces of tooling. You just can't. It's it's not possible. I mean, I've said it a few times, but I'm stating it here for the record. You can't just... One, partly because the, the, it would drive the factories insane if you were had multiple tools and you were saying, you know, give me that figure as four... Even if it was possible, you'd be sort of saying, you know, give me the two arms off that figure and the head off this figure. And, you know, the factories would just be, what the heck? So... What we tend to do is pull a set of tools that we've used in the past and make modifications. And that, is then, that then becomes part of that tooling or an additional part of that tooling. But in essence, it's treated as part of that tool. So the classic Dalek is a good example. We have lots of different eyes, lots of different arms, lots of different waist meshes, lots of different bases. But in essence, that's still, we still call that and it's still stored and, and looked at as one piece of tooling, which is the classic Dalek.
0: So let's move on to these new sets. The Voord, that must have been a bit of a challenge getting pictures from all the right angles to get those heads right.
1: It is. Well, thankfully, I'm not the person that has to... I, I have the luxury, and I've always had the luxury with sculpts, albeit they're now all done digitally. I have the luxury of being able to sit back and say, and look at them subjectively and sort of say, oh, I like that, or that looks good, or there's something a bit odd about this. I actually use a chap called Ed Barnett Ward who does most of my sculpting. He used to work with a company that I used in the past, but he's now independent. He's absolutely brilliant sculptor and he does most of the sculpting now digitally. So what we do is we take, we <laughs> sounds gruesome, but we, t- we tend to get an old action figure if we know we we're going to be adapting it and we rip the head and the, arms and the hands off at the bits that we know we're going to be replacing and essentially we scan that figure 3d scan it so he has a framework to work from which lets him see the proportions uh, etc of the new components he gets that and then he essentially sculpts a new figure part digitally over the top he, he'll send that to me as usually sort of turnarounds it's almost like a series of photos side by side rendered images and i get to say whether I like it or if I feel there's something wrong with it. 99% of the time, there is nothing wrong with it. But occasionally, it's a subjectively. Everybody has a subjective little thing. On things like birds, uh, it tends not to be the case. On human faces, it tends to be more obvious or you sometimes feel Mm -hmm. that things, something's off or something's not quite right. So for instance, on the companions that we did last year, that became a lot more subjective, you know, does that look like Benton? More importantly, did it look like Lala Ward? (laughs) One of my my boyhood crushes. Um, And mine. And yours. Mind you, I like both Brahmanas. Ed and I, having worked for so long, I think we've actually worked together something like 25 odd years. He's actually very much on the same wavelength as me. If I find something that's not quite working for me, nine times out of 10, he'll sort of just say, actually, I felt exactly the same thing. So we tend to parallel each other.
0: I was particularly impressed by the fact that I know that you like to give us as fans something a little different. So the fact that both get different bird antennae is rather
1: nice. Yeah, I I think it's because last last year there was the directive sort of came from above, you know, essentially redo the same sets for the first and the second drop, but repaint them. And that's actually very difficult to do because costumes are not the same and you can't just repaint stuff and kind of, I, I, so I felt that was a bit of a cheat. And this year, I not a cheat, that's not the right word. I mean, it, it was a good way to do it at the time, but this year I wanted to do something different. I thought, well, if we apply, you know, because it is a it is a budget range, I said, well, if we apply the same mantra, but instead of giving people, you know, two different characters at two different times. Why don't we come up with a bunch of sets where actually it makes sense to have two characters that are virtually identical but can be different? And and I do like to give people something that is slightly different. I mean the void is an interesting one. It's only the aerials that are different and there's literally two extra silver studs on the one of the void's costumes because he had he had a different scuba gear on. But, you know, it's still nice to do it. And the, and the, with the sensorites, right, just giving one slightly paler skin, one a slightly more brownish, fawny kind of coloured beard. Yeah, little things like that. It's quite cool.
0: Yeah. I also like the fact that we've got nice flippers there as well. So I take it they're fairly <laughs> simple to do, to add on something, just like a minor
1: creation like that. Do you know, the flippers is an odd one. It, it kind of went against everything I feel about action figures in this in the <laughs> sense of it made them exceptionally unplayable with in in some ways and I did for a for a tiny moment I couldn't articulate the flippers. I, I, I didn't have the money to do it. it for a tiny tiny moment I considered do I do I mess do I mess around and make a sort of shortened flipper that would kind of make more sense but then I thought you know they had to wander around in studio like that. and It probably wasn't very easy. And, and you know, I suspect it's, it's probably like C-3PO. I suspect that in a lot of shots, probably the flippers were left at the side and they were shot from <laughs> the waist up. So it didn't it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. But you only have to look at those lovely newspaper shots of Carol Ann Ford and the Voord cavorting yeah. in the publicity shots to, <laughs> to see how much of an encumbrance yes. the flippers were. There was only one option in the end, which was to put the flippers on. It kind of wouldn't be a without one.
0: Let's move on to the sensorites. Again, an interesting creature from the first season, but they've had a bit of a renaissance, obviously, with Big Finish having done a story with them. And the fact that, again, they're both different, as you mentioned, the fact we've got the First Elder with their different bands around them as well.
1: Do you know, the sensorites, I I just think the sensorites are are cool. I, I have a very vivid memory of seeing that story when i was young and and it's funny it's obviously it's obviously traumatized several people over the years because they the face at the window it seems to be seared into a lot of people's memory more in a way than the the feet but I, i just they have a real especially when you see the color images of them from behind the scenes they have a real sort of Star Trek vibe about them. It's just that sort of colour of blue that they used and the sort of simplicity of the design and the the look of the, of the masks. It was interesting, actually. I, I saw a comment, actually, on... I can't remember if it was Twitter or Facebook, but somebody reviewing the sets, and they said, oh, you know, the sensorites are wrong because... <laughs> They were all played by these little dumpy middle-aged men. And, and I think that's true in, in certain scenes, but the, the, the reference I was using was, was essentially the two guys kind of coming through the circular airlock piece. There's a very impressive photo of them stepping through that. And um, yeah, that, that's the sense rights in my head. And, and I, I really like what Big Finish did with them. I think they're a, they're a very cool type of creature, alien. Very much so. And, and and very iconic. I mean, you you just you know, you say sensorites to most Doctor Who fans and it's just like ping, yep, I know them. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's just you know, you have an instant image of them.
0: I think the fact that these are also, along with the words, the figures that are least likely to fall over given their feet.
1: Oh, magnificent. After all these years, finally mm. <laughs> finally action figures that even if you whack that IKEA glass cabinet, they're gonna stay upright. <laughs> <laughs> yes actually the funny story on that one just so i got i got i got an email from the far east who who were who obviously the engineering group about they'd censor, they sort of pointed out the fact that the, the feet kind of collide and potentially had they could have overlapped and they were like oh do you want to change this and alter it? and i was like no no <laughs> you gotta keep you gotta keep the feet as they are
0: Brilliant. Let's talk about The Doctor and Ian Chesterton. We'll go with Ian first. Ian yeah. is a companion who is universally popular. Everyone loves William Russell and everyone loves Ian Chesterton. So did that make him quite an easy fit for the set for you?
1: No, Ian was an odd one, actually, because shows what I know. Very little. <laughs> I have this, I just have this, I I, I I just have this memory that Ian was sort of almost always in a suit. I don't know what it is. I just always had him in a suit and um, I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. It's going to be in a suit. He's not in a suit. He's not in a suit for a heck of a lot of the stories. He wears polo necks. He wears various weird tops and kimono style tops and wraps and oddities. And, you know, in fairness, he does wear a suit in a lot of, I think, is iconic certainly to me, and I'm happy to be corrected, but certainly to me, his iconic look is the schoolteacher look in the suit. Yep. So although it's not correct for the set, I thought it was a good shoe-in as a character to put Ian, and I'll be honest, relatively cheap, because it meant just changing a head, so it was affordable and I could do it rather than put another first doctor in there. So yeah, Which,
0: which body did that originally come from? Just to clarify for those who aren't sure.
1: It's the I believe Saxon Master Stroke Primeval uh, blah, 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 blah. Ben Miller's character and I can't remember who it is. Well that's okay, we're not a primeval podcast. It's like it, yeah. It's it's like it's slightly it's a it's a funny one. In hindsight, I might have used a different body, but I would have had to do too much more modification on it. But it's, you know, it did, but I would say if if I had the choice and the money and the budget, I would probably tweak the body a little bit. That body has a tendency just to look a little bit small, short. Not that it's bad, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But in my head, Ian Chesterton was a fairly tall, imposing kind of bloke, so it's a compromise, but it always is when you're working on a budget, so you cut your cloth. So, the honest answer is would I have chosen a different body? Yeah, I probably would have, but I, I didn't have that choice. So,
0: no. And the doctor, it's uh, again, it's another nice wee variation.
1: Yes. So, the doctor was another nice variation. It, it was good. It Again, me a culpa, hands up in the air. I always try and go from behind the scenes images on a lot of stuff if I can. And there is a plethora of those out there. I can only recommend Doctor Who's Tragical History Tour so much. <laughs> so much it's absolutely brilliant as a reference if anyone's ever been there and if you haven't been there please go it's amazing but they basically do a section on almost every story of behind the scenes and then screen caps fabulous website and i took the reference for that particular doctor from again a colored photograph and of course the colors actually over time on color photographs change and red tends to flare so he ended up with slightly odd trousers but it makes for a nice variant. But again, hands up, he, his trousers aren't quite correct. But we all, as I said in the time, we all love a variant. And it's very topical at the moment for obvious reasons. Indeed. So, that's, not to make, that's not to make light of COVID, by the way. That's just... Not I've, at all. I've never, heard, I've never had a year where variant has been mentioned so much. Um,
0: <laughs> no, we'll not go there. We'll not go there. Let's go to the Dalek sets now.
1: Oh, yes. Love a Dalek. I really do.
0: Yep. I really. do. Go chronologically with the history of the Daleks number 5, the Power of the well, Daleks. We
1: well, we didn't go chronologically this time. Well, we didn't do did number back 6 this time. But we'll
0: go we'll go with actual chronology in which terms we've got the Power of the Daleks with that wonderful addition of the wee scoop.
1: Yes. Now many people Cooter from Orlando writes <laughs> <laughs> why why did you not put the dalek mutant in the honest answer is we discovered a long time because of toy safety regs. our dalek arms now have to be made of quite soft material and uh if you actually go back and look at some of the older daleks if you're lucky enough to have any of them you'll notice that the the arms especially the sucker arm is made of a much harder material but today's soft toy Greg say that Dalek arms have to be soft so that they don't become break and become sharp points or take some take some poor child's eye out or god help us a 60 year old collector which I'm getting close to myself Um, (laughs) so it means the material is very soft and actually what happens is if you put too much weight on the end of the arm it starts to bend and there's nothing you can do about it it just it will sit on the shelf and it will start to bend and, you know, it will just droop and it looks crap, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. So the reason there is no mutant in it is because we could make the scoop and the scoop would work. And it actually, if you look at the scoop, you see it's actually got a slightly thickened arm yeah. on even where it what it should be. It looks a little bit chunky, but that's really, again, to try and sort of counteract the the sort of droopiness that would that would happen so warning to anyone who's listening all three of you (laughs) i joke i joke yeah if you if you stick your dalek mutant on there and put it in the put it in that lovely ikea display cabinet don't be surprised if you come back and your dalek has a bent arm because i have a dalek downstairs on the shelf with a davros battle computer stuck on the end of its sucker sucker arm and I think that's bent at about 90 degrees now. (laughs) It looks awful. It looks like the Daleks melted.
0: Yeah. And of course, there's the irises in these Daleks as well.
1: Yeah, well, it's quite interesting. Again, I can't say enough about a couple of websites there's project dalek which is absolutely fantastic but there's also dalek 6388 which is a wonderful source of information and although they never get credit which they should do i tend to go mooching around their website a lot for little details about each production because they have some fantastic stuff again if you haven't been to these guys just literally i mean you'll waste a day it's a rabbit hole but they're fantastic and um, they're actually the ones that highlight little things like that like you know you know only one of the dalek had one of the original eyes with the adjustable uh, so it's so a mark one eye essentially and then the rest had a, a different eye and it's those kind of little details that on the history of the dalek sets i really wanted to give people is not not so much you know that every dalek has to be the same but there were differences between the props and i uh, and you know you can't replicate everything you know but um where you can it's good to do it and i like to do it so even something as simple as you know the as i say the props having different eyes it's worth doing makes it a nice set Yep.
0: and of course the second set that was released in this wave was set seven why do day rather than evil just now
1: I think it was a request that, weirdly enough, I think it came from B&M themselves, but I'm not 100% sure. But I know there was a question mark got raised about, you know, I think the previous sets were out there, which were essentially grey and silver, and then the next sets were going to be grey and silver, and then the next set was going to be grey and silver. I think their feeling was could we just mix it up a little bit? And we sort of said, yeah, there's no issue. So, so all we did was we just jinxed the order a little bit and, and, and we bumped it to the next one. So we brought in a 70s set with power and then the next ones that will come out will be Evil and Planet.
0: And the amount of work that I remember us chatting about that you put into getting the right shade of gold for the Dalek leader
1: oh. is phenomenal. Well, we've taken a lot of flack for good reason, you know, on the gold Dalek over the years. We'd, we'd kind of come close, but we'd never quite got it right for whatever reason. And I, as I say, what I wanted to try and do, which is ironic and it's something I'll go and speak to in the middle, but there's <laughs> a nice juxtapose here between these two sets. So yes, on that particular set, I really wanted to try and be a little bit more accurate track down the guys at this planet Earth. Ian, big shout out to him. He was fantastic. And I basically said to him, I can't find any reference to this gold color. And he literally came back and then did it within a day and said, it's this, and this is the gray. And so we did it. But those are quite weird Daleks in the sense that they, (laughs) to say somebody went crazy with the paint can is putting it mildly. I mean, everything on those Daleks is painted the base color. I mean, they painted the neck mesh. they They painted the body, the neck, the dome the eye stock, the gun, even the top. You can tell where they masked it off because even the top of the fender on the base of the skirt is sprayed gold and, uh, or, or grey. So, yeah, they just went crazy with those. But they're a very iconic, specific look. And any notes on the grey one? Again, just getting the colour right completely changes the look of that Dalek. It Actually, that slightly metallic colour being right it's. Fantastic. I mean, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's carried through into um, Planet of the Daleks. Yep,
0: lovely it.
1: The Daleks' first foray into colour. They made them grey. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it. But I love the story. I mean, that story is fantastic. It's. Got, it's a. It's a weird story. It's got a kind of. It's. It's one of those nice stories that has a slightly down. I mean, I like those kind of Doctor Who stories. That there's a slightly downbeat, slightly kind of troubling aspect to them. I can't, I don't quite know what it is, but it, it's not a sort of super happy story, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's fantastic. That kind of just everything that's in it is just sort of great, you know, the time tunnel in the old sort of river tunnel, the driving around them, the Ogrons. Oh, the Ogrons are fantastic. And just that sort of bleakness that's the word I was looking for, the bleakness. So it is an iconic story. It's a shame it ends with, you know, a mass battle where they continue. Or why they kept pairing up the gold and the grey, I don't know, but it makes it look like it's sort of like nothing. There's a ton of gold supreme mm. Daleks running around rather than just shooting the grey one on its own. But anyway, it is what it is. And it, it's um, it's fabulous. It's it's a lovely story. And, and I really enjoyed that one. I really enjoyed working on the insert for that one. Yep. So there's a a couple of little Easter eggs on the packaging on that one.
0: Glorious they are. Glorious. But we won't spoil them yet for those who haven't bought the sets. Talking of buying the sets, of course, something that a lot of people have been talking about is the distribution. Maybe you could just clarify this for the listeners. The fact that it's not actually character who are responsible for this part of the, the deal,
1: no the way the b and m deal works is we essentially produce the goods for them and it goes straight from the factory in China and ships directly to their warehouse they're completely it is their exclusive it's product made exclusively for them and it's distributed by them it, It's not fair I think to sort of i i see b and m getting cussed online liberally, yes. You know, stock control at any point at the moment is is an absolute nightmare. All I'd say is that these sets are late, but compared with what's going on globally with shipping and and um, people trying to bring things out, the fact that they actually made it across and are in stock is fantastic. Yes, you might have to do a little bit more footwork to find it. There's plenty of stock out there. I mean, there literally is. I know, I know there's been a couple of images online of scalpers buying stuff up. There's also been images of a guy who actually very thoughtfully buys these sets up en masse and then sells them to people abroad at literally cost plus the packaging. So you can't can't sort of diss the guy for doing that. But, you know, stock doesn't go out all at the same time and it doesn't go out in all stores. But, you know, that's exactly the same in any other store, you know, Tesco's and whatever, they have prime stores. B&M is the same. They have prime stores where stock will go and not all stock is going to be distributed evenly. It's just a fact. You know, it's going to go on shelf. There is plenty of it. You know, we know with B&M that, you know, the first four or five weeks of new Doctor Who product going on shelf, it's an absolute flurry. And then it sort of calms down. And, you know, as I've said before, you know, in six months time, You'll still probably find a few of these sets still on around on shelf. It's just it's just at the time everyone wants them, so it creates a bit of a scarcity. Then it creates a bit of a panic, and then you know you get all the animosity and the bad feeling towards B and M. And it's really not fair. It's not justified. You know, I think they're not far from actually having an online presence in the in the not too distant future, which will probably help the situation. But you know, these are fantastically priced sets. You're getting three action figures for twenty quid. I mean, that works out roughly about six ninety nine a figure. There's, there's almost there's almost nowhere else you can go on the planet where you can get a, you know a five inch action figure at that level of decoration for basically seven quid. I mean, they're fantastic value for money. So yeah, all I would say is don't cuss BM. It's not you know everybody's struggling at the moment. There is a ton of stock out there. It doesn't all go out at one time. That's not the way that warehouses and people work. And obviously there's delays at the moment for a whole lot of reasons. So
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can just backing up what you said there in terms of shops not having them, I went into my local BM the day that these came out and they only had the Verde and Sensorite sets. And I popped in yesterday and lo and behold there were the Dalek sets. So they are out there yeah. and they do come out at different times. And Gary yeah. Russell was delighted because I was able to pick him up a gold Dalek set. So he was over the moon. So it's arrived with him today in fact during the course of this conversation, Gary has sent me a picture of it having arrived. So it was a wee birthday present from me to him. So happy birthday, Gary. Oh, that's so,
1: fabulous. I, I haven't spoken to Gary for ages, so so um, I hope he's all right and doing and doing well. So that's, oh, that's, I know that's he's cool. listening
0: because he liked my tweets when I revealed this podcast was coming about. So
1: <laughs> hello, Gary. Well, hello, Gary. And um, I hope you're well. And, and maybe we can meet up at some point in the post-pandemic future. It it'll would be, it'll be good fun to catch up. Yeah, no, I mean, as with all B&M sets, you'll know this, maybe you don't, but you, at the time, you can only take a punt on what you think people will like. You know, I use you as a sounding board and various other people as a sounding board to sort of think, you know, what, what do people think of this? What do you think would work with that? There's also a, another topic website, names like no tomorrow at the moment, but there's another website I dip into occasionally to see what the feeling on the ground is, which is um, Who Toys.net fabulous people over there they are, that indeed. are um, they're very they're, they're, I used to <laughs> I used to think they were all a bit grumpy they won't mind me saying that but actually <laughs> they're, they're fantastically moderate by comparison yeah no they're brilliant and the, the guys there always have it's always good to like I say dip in and, and see what their feelings are I mean I, we're all collectors, we all love toys and we all have massive expectations and sometimes um, things run away with themselves in terms of expectation levels which yep. I always try and tempt. I always use the same mantra, it's B&M, it's a budget line. So, you know, don't expect the world. I know I try and do my best but I'm never, I'm, you know, some of the things you guys want, i just never going to be able to do. Uh, hands up, not going to happen but I'll try my best so, yeah, you can, like I said, back to the beginning, you can only take a punt on what you think people are like going to like. You're never going to please everybody. And there's always going to be somebody who's going to be disappointed or ask what if. And that is perfectly right. If you, if people didn't ask what if and why didn't we and all the rest of it, then we'd be in a pretty boring world. So it's a good thing. It's one of the reasons I use some of the reviewers that I do because they are guys who I know will sort of say, why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Al, thank you so much for your time today
0: for the first optional extras. And I think we should return very soon to chat about another of the exciting waves that you produced.
1: Yes, well, don't speak too soon. You might, you might get a bunch of complaints. <laughs> <laughs> please, please don't have that boring get on it. <laughs>
0: In that case, it would be a rather dull podcast if it's just me talking about action figures on my own. But no, Al, thank you so much for coming on today. And as always, thank you, telling us exactly what's happened. And hopefully, people have a bit more of an appreciation and understanding of what goes into making this current batch.
1: No, it's good. Thank you for asking me. It's delightful as ever to chat to you, Kenny. You're a fabulous guy. You always have been. And You know, if if there are questions that people want to send to you or questions that you hear of that need answered, I'll always do my best. There's certain things I won't be able to discuss, but this is just, you know, it's Doctor Who figures and it's the B&M stuff, so there's nothing controversial about any of that at all. None of the figures would be possible without the help of BBC Worldwide guys who are massively helpful to us, very much help to get everything expedited, figures, packaging, the lot. so... Thank you for right. having me as a thing. Absolutely.
0: So if anybody has any questions and wants to ask us anything in particular, you can ask Al via myself. You can get me on Twitter at finished zine. That's F-I-N-I-S-H-E-D-Z-I-N-E. And next time, Al, why don't we talk about the big finish wave, the three sets of Doctor and Alex?
1: Yes yes we could do that that was a that was a lovely little um experiment actually and one that i would love to repeat so yes i'm up for that
0: oh well, let's reconvene very soon let's do it thanks <laughs> thanks Al, and thanks everyone for listening look forward to hearing you soon Bye-bye. Bye, bye
1: bye